So today, Jesus is loyal. Cool. But these phones ain't loyal. Um, so, <laughs> and neither is Vodafone. If you're listening, Vodafone, you screwed me over. And I have 19 days till I can leave you, Vodafone. And I'm, every day is a new day. I'm telling you, I'm going to celebrate leaving Vodafone better than I celebrated my 31st birthday. I'm not even lying, man. I'm going to party. I'm going to party like it's, like it's leaving Vodafone because nothing compares. Other than experiencing Jesus, nothing compares to leaving Vodafone. Jeez. This message is brought to you by the Anti-Vodafone Corporation. So, cool. If you want to grab your, your Bibli, Bible, whatever, um, and we're going to look at Genesis 22. We're going to be reading a couple different things. So we've been doing this series, Artifacts. We're on week five. This is the fifth artifact we're looking at. Today we're looking at the bronze altar. Um, and after that, we've only got three more weeks left, I think, of this series. And so today, before we get into reading the passage in Exodus about the altar, um, we're going to be reading Genesis 22. So, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, so Abraham's been given this son, he couldn't have a kid, um, he had a kid with his um, side chick, um, servant, girl, woman, and um, he, God had promised that he'd have one with his, his wife Sarah in his old age, and he didn't believe it, so he did that, but then he's had this miracle child, and now, in chapter 22, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am, he said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had called him to. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come to you again. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So they went on together. They came to the place of which God had told them. Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound his son, Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand, took the knife to slaughter his son, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here am I. Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram was caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and he took the ram and he offered up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. So that's kind of the narrative in the story. So when it comes, this is before the Exodus narrative. This is before slavery 
happens and takes place, the children of Israel. So what's happening here with this story is part of their history. And what kind of happens when you're kind of conquered and you're held in slavery, although they weren't conquered, they went and lived there with Joseph. They actually saved the nation of Egypt from certain starvation and doom. And they were a huge blessing. But as they grew in number, they got enslaved, they got held down, they got oppressed, and they got mistreated. And during that time, one of the things that you kind of do is your identity gets questioned and gets challenged and gets pressurized. And in the different passages and stories, um, and in the dispersion with the Babylonians, they tried to wipe out their heritage. They tried to remove their heritage. They tried to get rid of it. They tried to destroy it. Here, what we find in this temple courtyard area, which we're looking at next week, and with each of the artifacts that gets created artistically as the children of Israel leave Egypt, as they receive the law, the instruction, the DNA for who God wants them to be, the very fabrics of their society and their purpose and their meaning, each one of these items, these artistic items, points to something before this happened, reminds them of it, reminds them of their humanity, reminds them of their relationship to God, reminds them of who they are right now, and it reminds them of where they're going. So the whole of the tabernacle, the way it was kept was the gate was kept eastward facing, which is like the same way the Garden of Eden was. And they had like these cherubim stitched on the side. Um, so it was kind of as a reminder that the, the angels um, defended the gate for Eden. And they had all these types of simile going on. And it's kind of like imagery, metaphor and pictures that they're using. Um, now, when it comes to the burnt offering, it's looking back to a couple of things. Firstly, it's relating to Eden like everything else within the narrative, but it's also relating to this particular story. So when we have Eden, what we have is we have a, a situation where everything is good, where God is good, what he's created is good, and everything is, um, everything is bang as a mash. Everything is gravy. Everything is great. Things go horribly wrong as we know the narrative. As a result, the wages of sin is death. This is where kind of we have this original sin theology that people kind of, um, that we kind of hold to as, as Christians. And this whole world, there's this huge paradigm shift from good to fallen, um, from life giving to death entering in. Death is a new concept then, which is hard for us to understand because for us, everything in life is about a beginning, a middle and an end. For them, there was never been an end before. So this was a new concept that things would come to an end. It was a huge shift, transformation. And there came this moment where they were found hiding in the core of the Eve because in Eden, they had an intimate relationship with God. The idea behind the whole tabernacle, behind the tent, behind all of the artifacts is about an intimate relationship with God, that there's a call back because God promised the way back. And each of these items are pointing towards and relating to a reconnection of man with God that we can have the relationship we had once before. Now, what happened with Adam and Eve was they were hiding in the bushes. They saw they were naked um, and they're a bit embarrassed about that. And so they had this issue. They get fig leaves, they sew it all together and they cover themselves. So they, in their own strength, their own works, their own actions, try to cover up their situation to make things look like they're right, they're okay with God. A covering, okay? Now, what happens next is God goes, he takes some animals, duppies them, and he covers them in the skins of the animals. So they're covered in the skins of these animals. So when the Bible talks about atonement, atonement translates really means like covering. So the idea that the Hebrew people had was that the covering was with blood. And Hebrews talks about it, that without it, there's no, there's no covering for sin. So sin was always covered with something that was like a blood kind of sacrifice relating to it. So Adam and Eve were entrusted with the looking after the garden and the animals, and everything was entrusted to their care. Their screw-up not only is costing them, they now have an end in sight. They never had a sell-by date before. This sell-by date is a new thing for them. But they also see the animals that are in care and entrusted to them 
suffering because of their mistake. So what we have here is we have this, this carrying on. There was these animals that um, were duppied and they were covered in their, in their skin because they tried to cover it up themselves and their covering didn't cover anything. It didn't leave much to the imagination. So these skins were used. So now within this priesthood that's being brought about, the imagery is relating to that story. But ultimately, none of these sacrifices ever really did away with anything. They were kind of pointing forward as well as pointing back. There was a reminder and a constant reminder of their situation that sin was entering into this world, that it rained, that death were the wages for it, all sinned, all died. And so they had this constant system that they kept on going through and they kept on doing and they kept on doing and they kept on doing and they kept on doing. Now, with the bronze altar, bronze was, um, we talked about the other week when we talked about the different colours that they used, the different metals they used. Um, so you had bronze and you had silver on the next stage and then in the Holy of Hol- in the Holy Place silver, in the Holy of Holies they had gold. On the outside you had bronze. The reason you had bronze was you had judgement. So before you could encounter this God, the idea was you stood up to this kind of judgment. So here, the bronze altar is all about judgment. So it's like the place where you come to cover your sins, that you can meet with him, that you can engage with him, that you can encounter him again, that there's a reminder of what is to come. But they also relate to this story. So with this narrative and this story, what happens is Abraham goes to a mountain. So the one thing about the bronze altar was it was the highest piece of furniture. Um, in the tabernacle because there was this mound of dirt kind of sloped up on the sides. You'd stagger up the side of the dirt and then you'd come to the bronze altar. So it was always this kind of like raised up kind of imagery and kind of picture. Now, if we go to Exodus 27... We get a kind of picture of what it kind of looked like. So these are the instructions they were given. You shall make the altar of archaea wood uh, five cubits long, five cubits broad, and the altar shall be square, and its height shall be three cubits, and you shall make horns for it on its four corners. Um, its horns shall be of one piece with it, and you shall overlay it with bronze. You shall make the pots for it to receive its ashes and shovels and basins and forks and fire pans. You shall make all its utensils from bronze. You shall make... Um, for it grating a network of bronze and the net you shall make for, um, make four bronze rings at the four corners and you shall set it under the ledge of the altar so that the net extends halfway down the altar and you shall make poles for the altar poles of archaea wood and lay them with bronze and the poles shall be put through the rings so that the poles are on the two sides of the altar when it is carried because obviously this is a temporary home it's kind of moving along uh, whenever they are moving and following God you shall make it hollow with boards as it has been shown you on the mountain, so it shall be. So that's the, the description that they're given. This is the, the picture that they're kind of given to work with. So we have this Genesis story right at the beginning of sinner entering the world. There needed to be this atonement, this blood covering. Then we see this kind of Abraham story where it's his only son, which is kind of a key, key thing. Then we see now this pointer back to what it is all about so you have this thing that is designed beautifully it's 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 mobile you can take it with you it's made of bronze so its main thing is about judgment so you come to that you deal with your your ish and then you can kind of move and transcend and engage freely with um god so that now hey you're right hey that now brings us to john 
19 and verse 16. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place of skull, which in the Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. So what kind of um, happens with this narrative is when we look back, we look back at the Abraham story. So you've got the Genesis narrative as the first foundation for this this, um, bronze altar. The second part is the Abraham story that we just looked at. Abraham is literally about to kill his own son. He's about to follow God's instruction. He's about to follow his request for what needs to happen in that moment. One of the things that Abraham says as he's walking literally with his son, ready to kill him, is his son says, Dad, like, it's great we've got the wood, it's great we've got the fire, great we've got the knife, but dang, where's, where's the sacrifice? And then Abraham says something so powerful and so telling. Um, literally, in the Hebrew, the way it's written and the way it speaks is, the Lord will provide himself the sacrifice. Now, when Abraham says that, he's speaking of his son, because the Lord has provided him, <laughs> not just as the sacrifice, but given him something that he never dreamed he could have. Like he never believed this would be possible. So he believes when he says this statement, he's talking about the son in front of him. But he doesn't actually know what he's saying because he says the Lord will provide himself. That the sacrifice isn't going to be Isaac. The Lord's going to provide it. And literally when they get to this mountain and he's about to do it and the angel stops him, there's this moment where he looks up and he sees the lamb He sees this ram caught with its horns, caught in the thicket around its head, like a crown of thorns that that Jesus has. And so he said these very words, not knowing he's speaking like prophetically, he's speaking straight into the plan of God, that God himself is going to be the sacrifice. And so when they do this, he goes to this raised place. And so when you have the, the, the bronze altar, what you have is you have this raised up because you go to the, the mountain of God. That's where Abraham had this engagement, this moment where the Lord provides a sacrifice, where the Lord is our provision. And Abraham said, the Lord provides. And the Lord does provide. And in Jesus, all provision is there and all provision is made. And the key thing about what we read in John is so they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is Golgotha. Now, an altar means a high place of slaughter. High place of slaughter. Jesus is taken to a high place. He's taken to Golgotha, the place of the skull. Now, the bronze altar and every single thing in the whole of the tabernacle is all about one thing, one thing only. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. They don't know it's all about Jesus. They're artistically creating everything that Moses has seen. And Moses is tapping into everything that's been before, looking ahead to where they are now in the present, looking ahead to what God is going to do in the future. And he creates all these things and every single piece, not a single piece we've looked at so far, and we won't look at a single piece in the next few weeks, where it doesn't just point all about the Jesus narrative and the Jesus story. Because the whole thing about the bronze altar, as you see, he's not just the sacrifice, he's the altar in itself. And when you read it in in John 19, it says... So they took Jesus. He went out bearing his own cross. Jesus carried his own altar to the top of the mountain. (laughs) He he carried the wood on his back. What did Isaac do? Isaac carried the wood on his back. 
It's saying, you want to see who's provided? Jesus has provided. Jesus is the provision. God's son, flesh and blood, living among us. So when John talked about Jesus, he said, we've seen the word of God, and he has dwelled among us. But the literal translation, the way they would have read it is, like we said the other week, he has tabernacled among us. That he is here, that God is in the midst, that he's with us, that he's for us. Not only does he live a modeled life displaying the law and the instruction of how it's supposed to be, but even the artistic instruments that were used to take people out of a slavery mentality to a new empowered mentality of a new um, calling, a new people, and a new identity, every single piece all clicks into place and points to Jesus. And one of the things that God said at the very beginning of the whole of this passage and the whole of this series is when we look at Exodus 25, Straight at the beginning, look, God lays out his intention. Verse 8, 25 and verse 8. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. So they're making this thing. But the ultimate goal in all of this is that God may be in their midst. That because of the Edom narrative, there is a separation that they can't be together. He is life, they're dead. There's this separation they can't be together the whole of this priesthood the whole of this tabernacle every single one of the artifacts that is listed if every single one of the artifacts that are listed that are displayed and every single one of the items everything is about one thing it's about him living among us that's the sole goal and so when we think about that is the whole point of the tabernacle and every single artifact. And then when we think about what John says, where he says that the word became flesh and blood and he tabernacled among us, he lived among us, he dwelt among us. That is the fulfillment of this goal. Because when Jesus comes, he lives among us, he shows us the way. They believed that sin was going the wrong way. Jesus said, I am the way. Then this new word, repentance, came. You turn away from the ways that you had. You follow Jesus. Um, the psalmist said, his word is sweeter than honey. Through it, I gain understanding, and I forsake every other way. I hate them. I detest every other way, and I follow and I pursue him. And so what we have through all of this is we have that God's ultimate aim is that he may live with us. And God wants to live with us, not as this separate, ethereal thing, but in the here and now, in and amongst our weak. But before we can come to that place, we first have to come to the bronze. We have to come to the judgment. And we have to receive Jesus as the sacrifice for us. And it's through that we can then go. We can enter in with God. We can have that relationship. Now, there's two things about Jacob. Because Jacob is Israel. And Israel means one who struggled with God, with man and with God. So Jacob means heel grabber. He was a struggler. He struggled with men. Then he struggled with an angel, and he wouldn't let go until the angel blessed him. Until he experienced life change, he wouldn't go. And then after that, he, he becomes Israel, which is the father of this nation. The, the whole strategy of all of this was to bring about social change and innovation, that people would live lives of practical love that everyone can experience. Now, the responsibility that you and I have is the same story of Jacob, and it's twofold. It's wrestling with God until he blesses us and changes us. But it's also about wrestling with man. Because a lot of Christians have this theology 
focusing primarily on this rapture, like a get-out-of-jail-free card, like it's Monopoly. Like, pass go, do not collect 200. I don't know. They just want to avoid that. That's the goal. So, like, they have no, no passion for change. They have no passion for their community. All they care about is they've crossed this line and that one day they're going to go up this escalator up there when the Bible says Jesus is coming here and they're going to pass each other like, where, where are you going? Like, like what, are you, what are you doing? Like, I'm going there, where, what? Jesus can be like, I've come to, what, what? I'll, I'll, see you later. It doesn't really fit. God calls us to be Israel, one who wrestles with man and wrestles with God and wins. Now, if you notice something about Jacob is he loses the fight. His, his hip gets dislocated. He doesn't, it says he won. And I'm like, that's not winning. I've never seen in the UFC a guy's hip get popped and him tap out in submission and be like, oh, yeah, well done, heavyweight champion of the world. Like, no, you've lost. But sometimes losing to God is winning. But the challenge for us is to wrestle with him, that we get that life change, that we are then committed to wrestling with the community, with the family, with those around us, that we see sustainable change. Now... I've said it before, and I just say it again because it's such a good visual visualization for us. Over there is Holy Trinity Clapham, which is just straight across from the common, and that's where the Clapham sect were, and they were the guys who were who were key influencers in bringing about the abolition of the slave trade. This small group, and they actually numbered just I think about the same as us today. <laughs> there wasn't that many of them, from what I was reading in, in the book about the Clapham sect. Now you think about those guys; they wrestled with God, they experienced life change for themselves, and then they wrestled with man to bring about change for those around them within their communities. It's not enough for us to have this, man, I've got this great evaporation <laughs> system going on where I'm just going to, woo, yeah, I'm getting away. You guys, see you later, you're screwed. No, no, no. It's something more special than that. But it all starts with each one of these artifacts. I'm going to pray for us and that's going to be it for this week. Father, I pray this morning that we would connect ourselves with, with that whole imagery of, of bronze within their culture and their society and their context. May we not be people that run away from your judgment, but like Israel, they ran to it, that they may be cleansed, that they may experience life change, and that they may be agents of life change within their community and within their contacts, to their friends, their family, and those that they meet, that they know that are in such desperate need around us. It's so easy for us to have the mentality of rapture, sweet, evaporation, evacuation, and any other Asian uh, to get out of here, and that's me done. Um, but that's never what you called us to do, because when Jesus came, he said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This within reach, and we're to be a part of that kingdom. It's not our kingdom, it's yours. We pray that we would start to bear those characteristics. This week, may we represent within our lives the gratefulness of those that have received forgiveness, that have received covering from the gracious gift that you have given us in your son Jesus. You haven't withheld your son from us. What is there that you won't give us? There's nothing that you won't withhold from us. You've given everything there is to give. It's all found in him. May we encounter that afresh this week and may we be agents of change with our relationships this week. In Jesus' name, amen.